Open your Bibles. This morning we're in chapter 1 of Habakkuk. God as he is. All right, this is, the, this is what I've distilled it down to, the book, God as he is. This is uh, one of the most clarifying, confronting, challenging, really challenging short books, three chapters. God as he is and he is not like me. He is completely other than, but so much better than I could imagine. Right, so a question from last week, because I did a bit of an introduction with lots of context for you to understand what was the context, what was the geopolitical situation in the nation at that time. Uh, Go back and listen to that, because I don't have time to go through it all. But a question I asked was, what if you're infected with a spiritual blindness that you don't realize you have, that means... You're just not able to see or understand what God is doing. It's just not making sense to you. And we talked about this whole past year with the whole COVID thing erupting and, and then the, the more recent um, conflict and political turmoil and violence and chaos in, in the United States and everything going on around the election and all sorts of worries and concerns being stirred up. These kind of contexts... Where is God and what is he doing? Which part of this is he involved in? Is he involved in any of it? Is he involved in the whole thing? And how do we discern that? How do we know God? When trouble comes, do we know how to discern his activity? And this is really what this, this, this prophecy, this three-chapter prophecy is all about. God's given it to us. Yeah, to us now, of course, and, and all the, the generations past, present, and future, but he's given it to us so that we can really grapple with these questions and understand that God is knowable. He's made himself knowable. Not that we could ever contain in any way God. If we, if we saw him face to face, it would probably kill us because our mortal bodies wouldn't cope. But he has made himself knowable. So ask. This is the solution. If you think you might be infected. And, of course, if you, okay, how do you know if you're infected? Well, it might be things like um, when you realize that something that you fully expected God to do and a certain way you expected him to act, he didn't. This is Habakkuk's crisis. It's also our crisis. So ask God for the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him and have understanding of his higher ways. We ask. Isn't that amazing? We can come and stand before his throne of grace and mercy boldly. We can ask for help in our confusion. We can ask for revelation when we don't understand what's going on. He says, come, talk to me. Talk to me when you have needs. Talk to me, yeah, when you've sinned and you're feeling like you can't come to me. That's when you must come to me. Come and stand in my presence. Come and stand in my courts. Come and hear what I want to say. And I raise the point that understanding is more than knowing information. A person of understanding has allowed what they know to deeply transform them. When we are willing to face some of our deepest questions and disappointments and willing to hear God's response to that, or what he thinks about that, or what his perspective is, what his higher knowledge, his higher understanding and ways, we've started to open the door to understanding. 
or wisdom. You know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it does require honest reflection and it will be painful. And I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done on quite a few occasions myself. When God has not acted in the way I thought he would. When God has not brought an answer to prayer like I thought he would and how I'd been praying. And I mentioned, I think it was in my prayer last week. There was a time in my life when I was, when obviously when I was, I was especially praying a lot for people. Praying a lot for their freedom, for their healing, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And I thought for a time I was under the false assumption that God's highest good for that person would be to bring them healing, physical, emotional. God had to deal with that because that was not what he was most committed to. Do you know, I saw people healed. I did. I saw them delivered. I saw physical healings. I saw spiritual healing and bondages broken. And do you know what I also saw? I saw that after people had received that, they went on their merry way. And that's when I began to realize, oh, I would have thought that that would change everything. Therefore, that would be your highest good, Father. And I began to realize it's not always. It's not. And as I began to wrestle these things, I'm giving you a snapshot here, but this takes a, this is a processing time. As I began to wrestle with it, I had to submit to the fact that I don't see or know or understand everything that God sees, knows and understands about the human heart or about the nations in the earth. God does. And he's perfect. And I say, okay, Lord, just because I don't understand doesn't mean you're not perfect. Samuel Whitfield said, difficult questions expose us to new aspects of the knowledge of God. And if we do not ask these hard questions and allow the Bible's answers to transform us, we will lack a complete knowledge of God. We'll, be, we'll have blind spots. The Bible predicts that there will be people of understanding at the end of the age. Now, these people are in the earth now as well, by the way, but I think there's going to be many more before it's over. People who are able to communicate God's perspective in times of uncertainty, fear, trouble, and disruption. They're going to be, they're the calm ones. They're the ones who are confident, not arrogantly, not presumptuously confident. They're just at peace. Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 there's a couple of verses which indicate this. Daniel 11, you can read 32 to 35. This is just a, a snap, uh, just a little bit of it. With flattery, he is talking about the one who will rise up, who, the Antichrist, will corrupt those who violate the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. They won't shrink back 
they will actually lose their lives because there's something established. There's something confidently rooted in. There is a faith that cannot be shaken. And Daniel, Daniel 12, the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand, but the wise will understand. We want to be people of understanding. I want to be a person of understanding. The question is, am I willing to embrace the revelation of God as it's revealed in his word. Not what I might have heard somebody else say or what I think is right and just, but what the word of God actually teaches me. Are we willing to abandon any lies? Every lie that God raises. Because those lies, they just want to exalt themselves all the time over the knowledge of God, you know, that lie that you have to be anxious because worry makes things better. You know, if you worry about it, it'll, you know, somehow be better. You laugh at me, but honestly, the amount of anxiety there is in the world, you would think that was the case. The more we worry, the better it will be. That's a lie. The word, what does it say? Philippians 4, 6, we all know that one. Be anxious about nothing, nothing. What are we supposed to do? Pray. Lift our petitions and give thanks to God. Acknowledge who he is. So what's this anxiety thing? It's because we don't believe it, which means we don't know God. Honestly, that might sound harsh, and I have sympathy for people who are struggling with anxiety, but can we give God's remedy a go? Can we commit to it? Can we like take that lie off the throne in our minds, dethrone that stuff and say, God, if I've only got you, I've only got you. I will not. And that means things like speaking it. I actually believe that there, <laughs> there is merit. I'm not a person who believes that, you know, what you speak happens and all this sort of stuff. But I do believe that if you continually say to yourself, I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious, I'm so anxious. In this particular instance, everybody starts to get anxious around you as well. Right? Stop it. Can we stop it? Give it to God. Take it off and give it. And worship him until it goes. Practice that. Worship him until it goes. You might be doing a lot of worship. You probably will be to begin with. But the enemy will let go of you. I tell you, if every time you're feeling anxious, you go to worship, he's going to get away. Because the last thing he wants is you worshiping. Yes? <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> the last thing he wants is you worshiping. That used to happen. You know what used to happen to me in the middle of the night? Um, years ago, I started waking up at a particular time. And it was very, very frustrating because I wanted to be asleep. What is going on? I hate this. Ah, you know, lie there, lie there, count sheep, do all that stuff. Oh, okay, finally go to sleep. Do you know, it took me ages to work out that God actually wanted to talk to me. And I was so busy trying to go back to sleep, 
you know. And it was like, oh, God, there's things that you want to say to me in the middle of the night. But as soon as I wised up to the fact that it was God, another problem came. I wanted, I would sleep. I would be like, oh, wake up in the night and then like go back to sleep instead of lie awake. You know, we have to contend. We have to contend for stuff is what I'm trying to say. We have to contend. If God wakes you up in the night, get up. (laughs) Just get up. It's really, you know, you can do that. Just get up. Can you trust God that you're going to be okay in the morning? If you're up for two or three hours praying, you think you're going to be all right in the morning? Well, don't be anxious about that because you're up. Spend the time with him and trust him. Otherwise, you sit lying in bed, right, trying to go to sleep and frustrated. So just get up and spend the time with him and it'll all work out. I can tell you, it will. We must trust God. The root of sin is essentially wrong ideas about who God is. Would you agree with that? The root of sin is essentially wrong ideas about who God is. Tozer, let's have a look at this quote, George. Tozer identified the most important and telling thing about a person. You've heard this many times. I'm giving you a little bit more of it. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The history of mankind will probably show that no people has ever risen above its religion and man's spiritual history will positively demonstrate that no religion has ever been greater than its idea of God. For this reason, the gravest question before the church is always God himself and the most portentous or solemn and important fact about any human being is not what they at a given time may say or do, but what that person in his deep conceives God to be like. Because that is how we will live. I just want to make a, a note here as we head into chapter 1. Habakkuk, he has a sincere faith. He asks God some really hard questions, but his faith is sincere and God doesn't mind hard questions. When God responds, if you, you, you'll notice, he doesn't rebuke Habakkuk. There are times when he rebukes people, but he doesn't rebuke Habakkuk for sin or a lack of faith. He exposes something much bigger. I'm going to give you a heads up. He exposes a lack of the knowledge of God. Habakkuk doesn't know God like he thinks he does. And God is about to blow the lid on that. It reminds me of Job. Doesn't that, does this not remind you of Job a little bit? Right? Job goes through all this stuff and it looks very unjust. And at the end of it, Job, the one who's, you know, been on the end of all this, what looks like really harsh treatment from God. At the end of it, Job is the one who says, wow, I need to repent in dust and ashes because I've now seen who you are, God. Before my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I repent in dust and ashes. Do you think 
Job was grateful in that moment that God, that God had seen him and said, that man is righteous and I'm going to unveil myself to him and took him through all of that. Do you think in that moment, Job would have traded his blindness for what he now knew of God? We want to do it for him. We go, that was so unjust. We're not listening to Job's testimony. We look at it through our own lens of what we think is right and just, and we say quietly in our deep, how could you do that, God? I don't want, I don't want to submit to you. Don't like the look of what you do. How blind we are. Does God want to give to you a greater revelation of who he is? Could he give it to you? Could he bring you into the whirlwind, into the storm? Could he give it to you? Do you desire it? He's brought Habakkuk into a whirlwind. Just like he did Job. Just like he did Jeremiah. God is totally committed to shattering Habakkuk's false ideas about him. He is totally committed. To transform his understanding of who God is, how God thinks, how he works in the nation, what he's been doing from eternity past to eternity future. Wow, that's big. Let's open our Bibles. There's two Bible readings this morning. Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And you can have your other hand in Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 1 to 4. This is Habakkuk. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, and there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. We turn over to Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah and Habakkuk, what did I say about them last week? They lived in the same time, right? Prophesying in the same season. Jeremiah's complaint. Oh, there's lots of complaining going on. Here we go. Chapter 12. You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts Yet you know me, O Lord, you see me and test my thoughts about you. Drag them off like sheep to be butchered. Set them apart for the day of slaughter. How long will the land lie parched and the grass in every field be withered? Because those who live in it are wicked. And the animals and birds have perished. Moreover, the people are saying, he will not see what happens to us. Two prophets voicing their urgent, strong complaint to God at this time. 
Remember that the context, this is probably, Habakkuk is probably prophesying around 609, 607. The Babylonian, the first Babylonian invasion of Jerusalem is 605. So things are desperate. Things are dire. These prophets know. And they've had conversations with God and they have heard and they know trouble is coming. But no doubt, they're hoping that through their intercession, just like Moses, the prophet of old, Moses was able to intercede and God changed his mind. Do you remember that a couple of times? These guys will be thinking the same thing. So the first complaint. How long shall I cry for help, but you do not listen? How long will I cry out to you, God, but you do not save? The dilemma of unanswered prayer. And not just unanswered prayer, but unanswered prayer when there's pressure. Lots of pressure. The circumstances, it's not like, God, I don't know, what am I going to do You know, when I leave school? And you might be praying that for three years before you leave school. And God hasn't shown you yet. That's okay. Well, you know, you'll, you'll find out. But when you've got a Babylonian army suiting up to come against you, there's pressure. The, the dilemma of unanswered prayer is a dilemma. He's discouraged and he's desperate. He's grieved by the compromise in Judah. He's heard the prophets. He's heard Huldah. Remember, Huldah said, yes, this is going to, all this, this disaster, yes, in the book of the law that you've read, Josiah, yes, it's all going to come to pass. Just not in your lifetime, Josiah, but it will come to pass. And I said, sin has its consequence whether we think it does or not. There's always a consequence. So his, his first complaint is essentially, God, I've prayed, but you're not answering. In fact, there's nothing to even indicate that you're listening. Why don't you do something? Can't you see what's going on? How long? How long? If you've been a Christian for a while, you, you understand this how long question. We know there are, there are times as God deals in much bigger affairs than our lives, but those things impact our lives and he's watching and he knows. And we say, how long, God? How long? How long do I have to put up with this? I mean, how long is this going to be like for how long? And there is a, there is a tinge of accusation in this as well. Do you hear that? You're not doing this fast enough, God. There is a problem. And you're not answering. And there's going to be a lot of trouble because of that. Complaint number two. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Habakkuk's second complaint highlights Judah's crisis. Habakkuk had to look at evil with little hope for revival. Now, if you cross-reference with Jeremiah as well, you, 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 will, you will see that lawlessness and oppression and corruption and unjust laws and conflict and violence and was rampant. It's like every man did what was right in his own eyes. He, and, and 
Habakkuk has very real concerns that God is actually not going to protect Judah from Babylon because of their sin. I can imagine actually, when I was reading this, I can imagine Habakkuk expanding on his complaint. Now, it's not written here, okay, but allow me just to expand on what he's actually saying. I think because he lived during Josiah's reign, that he also would have said things like this. Why, God, did you allow Josiah to be killed in battle? Do you know Josiah was only 39 when he was killed in battle? Why? The nation could have had another 20 years under this man who loved you. A chance to reform, perhaps. He did so much good for the nation. And look at the king we have now. And it's too painful to, to watch evil flourishing again because we know that in three months, that king, turned, it's like bang, the nation reverted. Why do you make me look at it, God? Everyone is lawless. Evil has overcome good. Why is it happening? It doesn't make any sense. And you've allowed it. It's amazing, actually, how much of this is relevant to what's been going on in the U.S., right? You've given us land and a magnificent temple, the place where your presence is and worship that distinguishes us from the people around us. Why are you silent now? I know you could change the situation if you really wanted to. Don't you care? Why aren't you saving us? Answer me, God. Answer me. I need an answer. I need an answer to give to the faithful remnant. Complaint number three. And therefore, says Habakkuk, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. In other words, he's saying, because you're silent, God, and you're not engaged with my crisis, our crisis, justice is perverted. Justice can't go, go forth when there are unjust laws in place. Suddenly, unjust laws in place. Have we, have we not just witnessed this? On day one, how many peelbacks in the US? This is Habakkuk's cry. He's watched it. He's living it. And God is like, God, what is going on? This, none of this makes any sense. And if I was Habakkuk, yeah, I, I would have been pondering the glorious days under King Josiah. Absolutely. When the book of the law was discovered and radical change and repentance followed and everyone was honoring the word and the life of the nation was rearranged around God's wisdom and his precepts and his values and his laws. But now it is as if it had never happened and the people are openly disregarding God's laws. Justice is not going forth. And Judah has clearly no fear of the Lord. You haven't answered my prayers, God. And because of this, because of this, actually because of you, God, there is no justice. And we have to, listen, what's going on in the U.S.? Can I just ask you one simple question? Who sets kings and authorities in place? Who set King Jehoahaz? in authority after King Josiah. The text says the people put him in place, grabbed him and said, hey, we want you to be our king. But who does it? 
Who sets kings in authority? It's God. Just a comment about the righteous and the wicked, because you will see this come through a lot um, in this book and and other prophetic uh, scriptures. The righteous, we often think it's mainly a moral term describing a person's morality. But I want to say it's first and foremost a relational term. So the righteous are righteous because they depend on God. Okay? It's not like they're just righteous. They just have this righteous bent. No. There's no such thing. That's called pride. The righteous are righteous because they depend on God. And equally, the wicked are wicked is because they don't depend on God, so they do whatever. Does that make sense? So it's about relationship is what I'm trying to say. So Habakkuk, next slide, Habakkuk was convinced that God's ultimate commitment should be to Judah's safety and their prosperity and that revival, because he'd already seen it, it was the obvious way that the issues of justice would be apprehended, the idolatry ended, and then this military disaster thing coming at them, that would be stopped as well. Here's the problem. As I've already articulated, God raised up a king. And his heart was turned towards God and wholehearted obedience. And revival did follow. But God's merciful intervention, because that's what this is, when he comes in mercy to a people who don't deserve it, God's merciful intervention exposed a significant problem. And we need to bear this in mind as we pray for revival. And as we question God's timing on revival. Here's the problem. Although King Josiah and a remnant of the faithful were wholehearted, the majority of Judah were not. The revival changed little at the heart level. So it was more like a, it was a reform. It was a revival in King Josiah's heart and others, but the majority of Judah just went along with reform. There was nothing going on at the heart level. And as soon as Josiah died, that's what's revealed. And they grabbed the king who would lead them in all the ungodly practices of Ammon, Manasseh, and a bunch of the kings before them. So it was superficial. It was skin deep. It was short-lived. It was this cosmetic thing. It was this having a form of godliness, but the lack of of power and authority because in their hearts they weren't committed to it. So there might be verbal acquiescence, but there is not radical change that leads to wholehearted obedience. We need to ask ourselves that question, how do I live? Do I just have like this verbal thing going on? You know, I know, yeah, I know, I know. So I guess, you know, I'm in because I know and I go to church and whatever. But what? Listen, God is looking at our hearts. It's always our hearts. And he's not fooled and he's not mocked. He knows exactly where we're at. But our independence and our pride and our sense of we know better gets in the way. And the mercy that he wants to give, well, that's on offer. His mercy is on offer every single day. We are the blockage. 
So the, the, the blind spot, here it is, the blind spot. Habakkuk didn't realize that he was committed to something that God was not committed to. Can you say that with me? Habakkuk didn't realize that he was committed to something that God was not committed to. Ooh. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. God's commitment to cure Judah's backsliding is greater than his commitment to their short-term safety and prosperity. That's what all the prophets say. He is committed. Oh, yes, he is. He is committed to cure you, Judah. He is committed to giving you a single-minded fear of the Lord. I'm going to give you some homework in a minute, and it's all in there. Absolutely. Is he committed to doing that in your time frame? Well, he gave you an opportunity, right? But he will do it. He will do it. And what's about to happen is going to be part of that process. These are robust questions, aren't they? These are important things to be processing right here, right now, this morning. There are people sitting here in this hall and you're feeling a little bit shaken by some of the things I've said. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. Because God loves you. And he is committed to smashing those false assumptions which are capping who you are meant to be. God wants a true witness in the earth of who he is, right? How can we give witness to who he is when we don't even understand him? And how can we understand him if we're not reading his word and asking the Holy Spirit to give us understanding? A couple of times, just in the last month, I've said to people in conversation, I can tell you're not reading God's word. I can tell you're not. Because you're not speaking like him. You're not speaking the perspective and the truth that is in God's word. You think you're going to grow up to be this, right, or whatever, and you're doing this. Do you know what we sow is what we reap? So you're not going to sow nothing and reap amazingness. It doesn't work like that. We sow and we reap. And God is a generous God. He has so much to give. But the lies, the rebellion, the independence... I don't want my comfortable world shifted because I'm so comfortable in Australia. I love Western Australia. Love those borders. My life is whew, just cruisy down here. Right? Look out. Mark McGowan's borders are not protecting you, okay? You've got a much bigger threat than Mark McGowan. It's called God himself, who is fiery, fully blazing with love for you.
we can just skip to more questions as I'm closing now. How will a loving, holy God bring about lasting change in the heart of his people? What will it take for God to raise up a true witness in the earth to, to him and his plans and his goodness, his kingship before the return of Jesus? And how will God prepare a pure and spotless bride? I think about that a lot. You've heard me say that a lot. I think, God, how are you going to do this? Looks painful. Looks really painful. How are you going to do this in us? But your son deserves it. You know, Mike Bickle, some of you know this quote. He says, Jesus uses the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating our free will. I'm going to say it one more time. Then you'll have to listen to this back and write it down. Jesus uses the least severe means to reach the greatest number of people at the deepest level of love without violating our free will. That's the knowledge of God. Here's a listening challenge for you. Under pressure, what do your prayers sound like? You under pressure today? What do your prayers sound like? Under pressure, we want to be praying. Paul's apostolic prayers. Philippians 1, 9 to 11. Colossians 1, 9 to 11. Because those scriptures talk about being filled with with the love of God and patient endurance. I'm just going to cut to the chase. We would know God, that we would be sincere and without offense until the day we see his face, bearing the fruit of righteousness. You know, there's a reason Paul prayed these prayers. He lived it. He lived it. Enduring under circumstances that were incredibly difficult. Why do we think we wouldn't? It's nice to think we're going to get raptured seven years before all the trouble, okay? I get that. That's a really nice, that's a really nice thought. That's my preference. Absolutely. I just don't believe it. Your homework. Jeremiah is prophesying at the same time as Habakkuk. This is what I said. Here's, here's the homework. Did I write this? I did. There you go. But, but I've kind of made the list a bit longer since I did this PowerPoint. So it's Jeremiah chapters 29 to 33 and Ezekiel chapters 33 and 34 and 36 and 37, Jeremiah 12 and Psalm 73. Are you able to add that in just like really magically right now, George? I'm not sure if you can or not. No, no. Okay. <laughs> um, so just add in Jeremiah 12, because I, I read from that, and there's a whole chapter there. And Psalm 73, what an amazing psalm. You could just meditate on that one psalm, Psalm 73. Say that with me, Psalm 73, must know Psalm 73, okay? Meditate on it. See, God's heart and his intentions and his faithful love are on display in these chapters. So make a list of everything you learn about God. From these chapters and if I could have that um, song lined up ready to go George 
Finally, the Holy Spirit will give a spirit of wisdom and revelation to anyone who desires to know and submit to God as he really is. That's actually quite important. Know and submit. You see, God reveals the knowledge of himself to those who are submitted to him. Did you know that? If your heart is full of rebellion, you're trying to kind of get the good oil on God, it's going to be tough. Because if he gives you the good oil and your heart is rebellion, then you're going to be accountable for a lot more. The judgment will be greater. He's good, isn't he? So where is God at work in your life right now? Has he troubled you recently? Maybe this morning he troubled you. Is your heart accusing him right now? In what ways is he forging endurance in you right now? Faithful endurance. Is he enough for you? What is he inviting you into right now? And you hadn't seen it. Do you know what God's response to Jeremiah's complaint was? It's, um, it's a little different, but it's this, but very similar to Habakkuk. And we're going to come to that next time, next time in the series. I'll tell you what his response to Jeremiah's wah, wah, wah. <laughs> he says, Jeremiah, if you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how can you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? You see, these conversations are God's gift to us to grapple, to lay hold of, not to shrink back. It's time for training, people. It's time for training. You know, like you do gym training. Why can't you do God training? Why is it easier to go to the gym than it is to get your Bible out and actually spend an hour with him instead of in the gym? I'm all for gym training. I'm just saying, why are you prioritizing that over time with God? And if you're not prioritizing it, perhaps you should. <laughs> Start walking. Do something. Get into shape. Body, soul, and spirit get into shape. Everything. Get into shape. Why? Why is it important? I pray every day. Wayne and I pray every day for health and strength so that we can serve him all the days of our lives. Now, I have actually, well, I have some control over that. I do. I do have actually quite a lot of control over that. God's given me a body to tend and to put the right things into it and do the right amount of physical activity so that I'm doing the best for myself. You understand? Important. But it's also about putting the word of God into me that I will be strong, that I have a plumb line that is, is not shake, it's not able to be shaken. It's body, soul, and spirit. Everybody, get into shape. God is preparing us. He's trying to get our attention so that when the storm clouds are overhead, when there's delays, when it doesn't go the way we expect, when I'm being persecuted, right? 
We prayed for people going back into educational institutions this morning. There is a lot of potential persecution in those various places. When you are persecuted, in fact, I say when, if you're not being persecuted, there's probably a problem. Because so much of what's swirling out there is completely opposite to the truth that people need in their lives. You will have opportunities. You will have opportunities to be persecuted. And God is saying, shape up people. Come on. I've got all the power in the world. Talk to me. Spend time with me. Put my word into you. Function from that place. Love me. Obey me. I'm raising up a faithful cloud of witnesses right now on the earth, not to mention the ones who've gone before. He's doing it now. He's doing it now. Will you prepare? Young people, I have to just say, it's school tomorrow. Yeah, that's obvious, right? Let me, this is a terrible time to say this. Scan your holidays. So much time. So much time. How many hours did you spend with Jesus? How many hours did you spend with Jesus? Yeah, I know you're going to school tomorrow and I hear this complaint. Oh, I won't have enough time now. It's like, okay, I don't buy it, but okay. What did you do in your holidays? Did you have enough time then? Or did you need more? How much is enough? Now is the time. Stop making excuses. Let's search him out. Amen.